Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. So today our reading is from John 10, verse 1 to 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Lord God, we praise you for your word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that your word is alive, sharper, Lord, than any double-edged sword. It fills us up with confidence and it shows us, Lord God, the way to the Father. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that while we were without hope, the Lord Jesus Christ came in his mercy, sent of the Father, and died for us in order that we may have life and have it to the full. And we thank you, God, that all of us who have walked through that gate, Lord God, are now seated with you in heavenly places, Lord God, safe and secure from the attacks of the evil one, while our bodies, Lord God, um, can be destroyed in this earth. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we are now seated in our spirit in heaven with an inheritance, Lord God, that we cannot be taken away from us, that moths cannot dis- um, steal, Lord God, that cannot eat away at it, Lord God, but that we have an eternal inheritance in you. And I pray, O oh God, that you would open up the hearts and the minds of many people today, O oh God, to know that Jesus Christ is not dead, but that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. He is more alive, Lord God, than we could ever conceive. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that we look forward to our own resurrection, Lord God, when we will see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face, Lord God. And I thank you, God, for thy servant, um, Shaden. And I pray, Lord God, that your words would come and that you would speak through him today, Lord God. And I pray, O God, that you would bless us, Lord God, as you speak through his lips. Come, O God, and let your presence to fill and to move in this place today. Praise and worship, glory and honour be unto the Lion of Judah. Amen.
thank you for um, inviting me again. Uh, my name is Shagan. I lead the church in Epsom. We're part of Commission. A good friend of Andy and Howard. Uh, I love this church. Um, I've learned at least one thing today to sign um, raise a hallelujah. So I'll, I'll keep practicing that um, when I get back home. I'll, every time we sing that song, I'm sure that I'll be doing that um, sign. My wife is not able to be with me. My wife Linda is also speaking on the same text that um, I'm speaking on today in Epsom. Uh, so we'll have time to compare notes um, afterwards. But much more than that, I'm looking forward to what God will do uh, amongst us here in Westminster Chapel. Uh, I don't know how, how many of you have been reading or hearing about the revival that's happening in Kentucky, in Asbury. Uh, I'm, I'm really praying and asking God that God again will visit us, not just this morning, but when we gather in small groups uh, later on during the week, that the presence of God will be amongst, amongst his people. I want to do four things this morning uh, based on the text that we have read. And uh, the first I want to do is to explain to you the intention of the author, uh, John, uh, the beloved who wrote this book of John. He had something in mind for his readers, and he made that very clear within the text. Um, also, uh, by extension, I believe that God, who authored the book through John, has something to say to each and every one of you. I know that you made the decision to come this morning, but I want you to, to know that God wants you to be here. You are exactly where God wants you to be, and he has a word for each and every one of you. And that may seem strange to some of you, but I want you to believe that he has you in mind. He's thinking of you. He loves you. He cares about you. And so we're going to hear God's word. The second thing I want to do is to just break down that text a little bit because it's kind of um, an allegory. It's like a parable. It's not very clear. So I want to explain in case you're wondering who's the sheep, who's the gate, what's the gatekeeper, who are the robbers, what's Jesus talking about? So I want to do that as well this morning. And the third thing I want to do is to basically make an invitation, uh, make an invitation uh, to you to consider Jesus, to um, receive him into your life. And as a result of that, you, you need to take an action. And that's the fourth thing. At the very end of my talk, I will be asking you to make a decision. And it's not often when you come to church that you make decisions. Uh, but this morning, I'll be asking you to make a decision on the basis of what you're hearing. And the reason is, I believe that as I'm speaking, even right now, the Spirit of God will be speaking in your heart. Because He can do that. He does do that oftentimes when the Word of God is proclaimed. So, as we start, let's look at what John had in mind for writing uh, this, this gospel. The first thing that John had in mind is that he wants us to behold Jesus. Uh, this is a historic person who's come on the face of the earth and lived, died, rose again, and gone back to heaven. We didn't meet him in person. 
But John's written about him. He met him in person. He knew him. He spent time with him. He lived with him. He ate with him. And he was a disciple of Jesus. John is writing and he's asking and he's wanting us to meet this Jesus. And even though we can't meet him face to face, we can encounter him in the text. And oftentimes when Christians read the Bible, what you're wanting is, is not just a chore, it's not just a nice story, it is to encounter Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit because that's the will of God for all humanity. And John is saying, behold Jesus. And we read in John chapter 1 verse 29, when uh, John the Baptist was baptizing another John. He was baptizing people. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that was referring to Jesus. As Jesus was walking towards John the Baptist, he declared, Behold. And in our Bible, in NIV, it says, Look. And that is just a lame way of explaining it. Behold is a richer word. He's saying, Come close. Look at him, investigate him, touch him, be with him, spend a day with him, get to see his heart, get to understand what he is all about. This is the savior of the world. He has come to take away the sins of the world. So John the Baptist is saying, behold him. And John the beloved is writing, Come close, even though you didn't have the opportunity to meet him in person this morning through the text, through the words, and through the preaching of God's word, you can meet him. He can come into your heart as you open the door of your heart to hear his love, see his compassion, and hear the genuine interest is it peaks in the people of the world you will come to encounter him so my prayer is that you behold jesus you see him you feel him through the power of his spirit that he comes and communes with you the second thing that john wants us to do and this is at the at the at the end of John's gospel in John 20, 20, uh, 20, 31, John writes this words. He says he wants you to believe in him. He says that these things are written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Son of God, and that by believing you might have eternal life. In other words, when you Behold, this Jesus, you see his intention, and then you believe in him. You believe that he is able to take away your sins. He's got a gift. He's got a gift for you. And that gift is eternal life. Eternal life to be in the presence of God forever. And eternal life is a rich concept in Scripture. It's not just talking about this life and it is talking about this life but not just about this life it's talking about the life after death in scripture does not speak with finality because in christ jesus you can have everlasting life life that we lost in the garden of eden 
I'm going to refer to the story in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3, when God made humanity. He placed us in a garden, Adam and Eve. There was the three, that was the tree of life in the garden. God didn't say they couldn't eat of it, but Adam and Eve didn't go there. But there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God said, don't eat of that. And that's where they went. Why? Because the enemy came to entice them, as he does us. And they lost the opportunity to have another kind of life, a richer, fuller kind of life, which Jesus is now offering. So as you behold him, John wants you to believe in him. And as you believe in him, what happens is that you become part of him. You become united with Christ. Your life is not all by yourself. You don't have to worry and navigate the troubles and difficulties of this life all by yourself. And even though he's not here in person, he will set his Holy Spirit inside of your heart. And he, the Holy Spirit, will guide you. Can you imagine you having the Holy Spirit inside of you, helping you, guiding you, shaping your life, making you not make mistakes that oftentimes you will make. And when you do make mistakes, helping you find a way out of that trouble. This is Jesus that we're presenting to you. So, in essence, this morning is about encountering Jesus, seeing him in the text, experiencing him, feeling his touch in your hearts. So, that's my first job done. I want you to behold Jesus, I want you to believe in him, and I want you to belong to him. Amen. Is that clear? Good. The second thing I want to do is to walk through the passage. Is an allegory, is there are metaphors in it, there are mixed metaphors in it, and it's sometimes difficult to understand. So let me start by saying... If you look in that passage from verse 1 of John 10, it says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. So we see here that Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are part of the Sanhedrin, and it's kind of like the leaders of the uh, Jewish church at the time. They lead the synagogue. They were the religious rulers. They were the ones who were supposed to explain the Torah, the Old Testament, to the people. They were the ones who were supposed to help people come to know God, and by knowing God, to have eternal life. But these people have gone off the rails. They've abandoned the scripture for their own traditions. So what happens is, in chapter 9, Jesus meets a man who was born blind. At this time, he was already 40 years old, born blind. And Jesus had a, a conversation with his disciples. The disciples said, well, why, who sinned? Was it the man who sinned or was it his parents? Because the concept was, Nobody should be born blind. It's as a result of sin. And Jesus said, no, no, no. 
this person wasn't born blind because he or his parents sinned. It is so that the glory of God will be seen. It happened to be on a Sabbath day, which is a Saturday, or if you like, a worship day like a Sunday. And in the Jewish law, on Sabbath, you don't do any work. So Jesus now made mud on the floor and then rubbed the eyes of this man who was born blind, and he told him, go and bath in a river called Siloam. He did, and his eyes popped open. A miracle. It's one of the things that Jesus does, a sign to show the people that he's the Messiah, he's the Savior. So this man didn't know who Jesus was because obviously he couldn't see him, and he had gone away to wash and when people asked him, he said, there's this man called Jesus. He's the one who told me to wash. And now I can see. And people said, who, who is he? And then the news got to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees quizzed him a lot. And they asked him, explain to us, how did you come to receive your sight? And he explained to them. And they said, well, we know this Jesus, but he's not a good man. He's raving mad. He's crazy. He's probably doing these things by demons, by evil spirits. And then the man said, well, whether he does it by evil spirit or not, I don't know. All I know is that he has asked that my eyes be open and I can see now. And then they said, are you sure you were born blind? He said, of course I am sure. Then they left him and then they went to ask his parents. And his parents said, the question to his parents was, how is it that your son can now see if he was born blind? The parents said, we know he is our son. We know he was born blind. But how he can see, we don't know. And there's a little clue in the text that they were very clever because they knew that if they said they believed in Jesus, they were going to throw them out of the church or the synagogue. This is what the religious leaders were doing. Because they didn't like Jesus and what he was doing, and because their position was in jeopardy, they were driving people who believe in Jesus out. And of course, the streets were full. The synagogue, the church was empty because that was where Jesus was. And he was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. He was helping people find God. And then the Pharisees came and they had this conversation with Jesus. How is it that this man could see? And Jesus started explaining to them. And he said, There is a ship. There is a ship pen. There is a gate. There is a person who is manning the ship pen. And there are robbers. So Jesus was explaining to the people and he basically said, in verse 2, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the ship. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the ship listens to his voice. He calls his own by name and leads them out. Jesus is saying, I am the shepherd, and I come through the gate. You are thieves and robbers because this man has been blind for 40 years. They didn't do anything about it. 
They didn't care about the man. And when the man eventually could see, rather than them rejoice for the man, they were concerned that he was healed on the Sabbath day. They were concerned about technicalities. Who cares which day of the, of the week he was healed? A miracle has happened. And then they said, oh, it's demons that do this because they didn't want to believe in Jesus. They didn't behold him. They didn't investigate even their own scriptures. They didn't want to go back. And, they didn't want it to be true. They were too invested in their own position. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd comes in through the gates. That's the legitimate means. I care about these people. And the legitimacy that Jesus has is that of creation. God made all human beings. And he cares for them. He cares for them. Jesus cared for this man, even though the Pharisees did not care for him. And then the Pharisees are robbers because they are agents of the devil. We will get to see in verse 10 where Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come to give life and to give it abundantly. So Jesus is comparing the Pharisees to robbers who will not come through the gate, by the way, when they want to steal the ship. Imagine the ship in a ship pen. A ship pen is a ship fold where many of the shepherds put their ship in the pen. It's mixed. Uh, if you have 10 shepherds, you have all of their sheep in that pen. It's a safe place built up with bricks with a gate. If the shepherd of a ship is coming to take some of or all of his ship, he's going to come through the gates and, and then ask and call his ship out. He knows his own ship. He's probably marked them. He knows them by name. And each shepherd will come. And the, the keeper of the pen also knows the shepherd. And he opens the gate for the shepherd. But if a thief is going to come, if a robber is going to come, Jesus is saying, they won't come through the gate. They will look for an illegitimate way to come. And this is what we see. The Pharisees didn't care about this man. Eventually, they threw him out of the church. Why? Because he said, I have explained to you three times about Jesus and you still don't believe. What else do you want me to do? Do you want to believe in Jesus? He asked them and then they got very angry and said, we don't belong to this Jesus. You out of the church. And they threw him out. That's the attitude of a robber. They don't care for the ship. They're not interested in this person who was born blind. But Jesus, as a shepherd, He's interested. The interesting thing about this parable, when Jesus explained that to them, they didn't understand it. We see in verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said it again. Can you see his kindness? He wants them to get it, but they're not interested in getting it. And then he says, I am the gate, which is the title of what we're talking about today. And Jesus says that, I am the way, just in John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate. I'm the one through which you can come to know the Lord Jesus. Something is at stake here. Something is at stake. You've got the sheep. 
You've got the shepherd who cares for the sheep. You've got the robbers who's not interested and all they want to do is to kill, to steal, and destroy. And that represents the Pharisees. And it's not just the Pharisees, it's the devil who is the father of all liars, the father of all thieves, the father of all deceit. He's the one who's enlisted the Pharisees into his own business. And what we find is that in the Garden of Eden is exactly the same principle that the enemy used. He came and told Adam and Eve, is it true that God told you not to eat of this tree and that when you eat it, you will die? He deceived them. He color-coated lies and pre presented it to them as truth. This is the same gimmick that the enemy does, even today. So you find people who are addicted to pornography, or you find people who are addicted to gambling. It starts with a little pleasure. You, play, you place your 10 pounds, and you gain 20 pounds. And the first time it works, the second time it works, and you're thinking, this is a good, cool way of making money. I'll keep going. But the devil does not tell you that what he wants in the end is addiction. And it's as if this is an easy way to make your life better. So keep doing it and you will get more. And then you keep doing it and then you keep losing money. And then you get hooked on it. And then you lose your job. You lose your family. The things that addiction has done to people is horrendous. Different kinds of addiction. A little pleasure here, a little pleasure there, but then you get hooked on it. You satisfy the desires inside of you in the same way Adam and Eve satisfied the desires in them, and then they get hooked on it, and then they lose their joy. He does not tell you what you're going to lose. He pretends as if you're going to gain everything. That's the attitude of the devil. That's the attitude of the robber. Jesus is saying... My attitude is to bring you into the fullness of joy. I'm not going to trick you to have temporary pleasure, but I'm going to bring you into uh, my loving hands. And even if you're addicted and in trouble or find yourself in difficulty, if you come to me, there is safety, there is provision, there is help. So Jesus is like going out into the world and calling people. He's calling his sheep. So the sheep pen is like the world out there or a, a space, a sphere. And he's calling them out of that sphere. He's calling them out of darkness and calling them into himself and making a new flock for himself. So that anybody who comes to him now will be saved. Listen to the call of the master today. I don't know what challenges you have in mind. And I know that there are many people here who are already Christians. They will tell you stories of how God called them out of darkness into light. My story is that 42 years ago, when I was 12 years old, a pastor's kid in a Sunday service, my father was preaching and he said, the fact that you are a pastor's son will not get you into heaven. You need to know Jesus 
for yourself. I used to think it was enough that I was a pastor's son. My father's faith will cover me. The promise God made to my father to protect him and to bless him will be my own inheritance. Then I suddenly realized in the middle of the preach that I have to behold Jesus. That I have to look at him. That it has to move from my father's faith to my faith, to my life. Because my father has his life and he's now gone to be with God in glory. And I have my own life and I have to make my own decisions. And before he could finish preaching, I went forward sobbing, confessing all the sins, including ridiculous things like cheating my siblings out of their food. It's probably why I got so big now. From nine years old, I will trick them, all kinds of trickery. My portion is already bigger, but I want to steal their own portion. I confess that on that day, the Holy Spirit just came into my life and just made me see how horrible my life was. There is no human being on earth that is designed to walk the face of earth alone. And you may think that you're in charge. You're not. It's either you allow God or Jesus to be the shepherd of your life or you are in the camp of the enemy. It doesn't matter what your religion is. You may say, I'm agnostic. You may say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe there is God. It doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is the truth. And we will find out that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm presenting Jesus to you today. I want you to look at him. What has he got to offer? What is he asking of you? This is a man who's gone up to glory, but he was in heaven and he came down on earth. He could have come as an adult. Easier. But no, he came as a child. God himself. In human flesh. Born into the sinful world, left his glory above and became like us. He walked the earth like us. He faced the same temptation as we did. He faced the devil in the garden of Gethsemane, but in the wilderness before he started his ministry, it's the same Jesus. He came so that he can experience what we experience and have victory over the enemy. He resisted the deceit of the devil. And he won the victory on the cross. And he's risen again and he's in heaven. And he wants to show us that as a man, it is possible, but only through him. Only in him. So if you want him to be in charge of your life, I've, I've, I've got to tell you, he's got a lot to offer. And we will see that in the text. But he's calling, just like Jesus was calling. Jesus later met this blind man. And he said... You know, do you want to believe? He says, show me, show me the Messiah that I might believe in him. And Jesus said, the man that is talking to you now is the Messiah. And he believed. Some people run around looking for miracles. But Jesus was not just interested in the sign and the miracle. He was interested in the salvation of the heart of the man. And he called him into himself. And he received Jesus into his life. The joy that that blind man who's now seeing had was more than when he actually first 
could see anything. Now, he's not just seeing the creation, he's seeing the creator. He's met the Messiah, and his life was radically changed. I could tell you stories of people who have met the Messiah. His kindness, his goodness, his mercy, in the midst of the rubbles of Turkey and, and um, Syria, people are coming to faith. In the difficulty in Ukraine, in the midst of war, people are meeting the kindness of Jesus. Even in the midst of hopelessness, he's presenting hope to people. My father uh, was a Muslim before he was converted to Christianity. In the kindness of the shepherd, one morning, it was Asubah, which is the morning cry. Early morning at 5 a.m., he bowed his head and he was wanting to just pray the Muslim way to God or Allah, if you like. And he had a voice. He had a voice, a Muslim. No one had told him about Jesus. This is the kindness of the man. He's looking for sheep. He's calling out. And your call is this morning what you're hearing. My father's call then was a voice. He looked around in the mosque, he was empty, he was alone, and nobody was there, and it was Jesus. And he said to him, I don't want you to pray to me this way, because this is not the right way to pray to me. And then he found him, himself in a church, and he gave his life to Jesus. And for the rest of his life, he died at 78. He said, even on his dying bed, that Jesus is my friend, and he has never done me wrong since the day I met him. He died of a chronic disease, but he said, when we prayed about healing, he said these words to me, Shegu, my son, I have never defined God's faithfulness based on my experience. I base it on what he says. And it's not what I'm feeling or the healing I'm looking for that I didn't get. It is that he is faithful, he is good. And if he doesn't heal me here, when I get to glory, there will be no more sickness and there will be no more pain. Such was the evidence of the confidence he had in him. Why did he have that faith? Because Jesus called him. This morning, as you're hearing my voice, he's calling you. He's questioning the assumptions that you have. He's challenging the beliefs that you have. Some of you have not even investigated Jesus at all. You've just read things that others have said and you've just completely believed it. Read the Gospels. Meet Jesus and your life will be transformed. One more thing to say on your response. I find that for us Christians, there are two types of Christians. There are those who spend all their time running away from sin. And there are those who spend their time running towards Jesus. Those who spend their time running away from sin, the sin is their focus. How I will not gamble, how I will not commit adultery, how I will not hurt my neighbor, what can I do? And the effort is self-effort. They're looking behind as they're running away. The Bible says the sheep hear his voice. They don't hear the voice of the, of the robbers. They run away from the robbers. But how do you run? 
You don't run looking back at how close the enemy is to you or how far away you are able to escape the enemy. You run because there is something more beautiful ahead of you that you want to grasp. It's a better way of running. I want to encourage those who are Christians today that you want to fall in love with Jesus again and you want to pursue him. You want to stay close to him. That the desires of your heart becomes that you may know him, that you may understand the riches of his glory. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how much you love the Lord, that you love him more, that he is the object of your affection. And when Jesus is the object of your affection, that's what you concentrate on. And when Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When you find yourself in the loving embrace of the master, you're close to him. No danger can touch you there. No enemy can catch up with you when you're in union with Christ. That's a better way of running. So run towards Christ rather than run away from sin. Let sin not be your focus. Let him be your focus. Because in him, everything was made. Everything exists. He is the beauty of all creation. It was from him that all the world was made. And it is for him and it is by him. And everything belongs to him. So nothing the enemy can offer can satisfy like Jesus. I want to be satisfied with Jesus. And I know that's not always the case every day in my life. But I want to be satisfied with him. That sometimes that football matches satisfy you when you win. You know, like Arsenal won yesterday. Sorry, those who are not football fans. But it was a crazy goal at the very dying minute. Hit the post and then hit the head of the goalkeeper went in. Beautiful. My son was so happy. We were jumping in our living room. Even though I'm no longer an Arsenal fan. <laughs> and I know straight away I've lost some people. But those, that satisfaction is temporary. The satisfaction in knowing Jesus is eternal. It's an ending. So I want to invite you to run to him. So what is at stake as I begin to bring my time to an end? Let's look, if you've got your Bibles, this is very crucial, at verse 9 and verse 10. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So the first thing at stake here is salvation. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever means anybody. No one is beyond the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is absolutely nothing, no matter how evil it is, that you have done that disqualifies you from coming to him. Whoever enters. You don't have to be qualified to respond to Jesus. You don't have to be a good person. You come as you are. When you come, he qualifies you to belong to him. He's the one who has the qualification. 
So when you think, I'm not good enough, I'm not, I'm not sure, I have doubts, I'm not a good person, Jesus says, come as you are. I came as I was. My father came as he was. Many of the Christians here came as they were. Messed up, though our lives were. He turned it into something beautiful. In verse 10 he says, or later on in verse 9 he says, they will come in and out and find pasture. Rather than being held up, they are now free. You come into the fold. So if you imagine the sheep pen is where all these scattered sheep were that belonged to many shepherds. Jesus calls them out and he now puts them in his own pen. He's now the gate, the access to that place. And he leads them out and he brings them in. That's a picture of freedom. A picture of freedom. Freedom from addiction. There was a woman in the Bible who had been suffering for 12 years with a, a rare disease that has to do with her blood. She met Jesus and Jesus set her free. All of these are signs that we should believe in him. He will lead us in and out. And then he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So there is provision, but there is protection, but ultimately, this is what is at stake, eternal life. And just permit me to spend a moment to just explain to you that the world is in danger. And I don't mean that by the wars in Ukraine or the natural disaster in Turkey. The issue... What's at stake is eternity, is eternal life. And we walk around as if this world is a permanent place. But every now and then somebody dies and that reminds us that this place is not permanent. Even if I wanted to stay here permanently, I don't have power to keep myself from dying. And sick people die. And healthy people die. Accidents happen. I don't know when next I will see you. I pray that I will be able to see you again and come here. But that's not a guarantee. People slept last night and didn't wake up. Death is a part of life. These things do happen. You know when you're a young person, I, I, once I was 12, once I was in my 20s, I felt like infinite like life is forever. I felt immortal. Now my, when I go for my walk, my joints ache, and I'm only 50-something, and I have issues of health in my body. I don't feel so immortal anymore. But the reality is that there is danger. Death is locking around the corner. We don't know when we will give up the ghost. But also, you're in a world where the enemy is painting a picture that this place is permanent. It's okay just going on, do what you want to do, get a degree, get a job, get a wife, get a house, buy another one, and another one, and another one. Get into the property market, and then your life is all sorted. When your kids come, you know, then you can you know, find a way of getting those property to them without paying capital gains tax. 
all kinds of things going on. But who tells you that you will live that long? But I pray you live that long. I want to live long. But beyond death, there is something about this world is not permanent, it's transient. The enemy will want you to believe that it isn't. So there is a war. There is eternal life at stake. The devil, who is the thief, wants to steal that life from you. Like he stole it from Adam and Eve. God said, in the day you eat the fruit, you will die. And what God meant was separation from him. And they were separated from God. But now Jesus is coming and saying, that which we lost in the Garden of Eden, I've got it. And I want to give it back to you. All you have to do is to look at what I've done. Look at the evidence. Believe in me. And then join me. Come into my fold. And I will give you eternal life. How does it, what does it sound like to live forever? No sickness. No putting to bomb anybody. No tears. No suffering. No sickness. Just joy. Eternally in the presence of God. What does that feel like? It's wonderful. This is what is at stake. Will you receive Jesus? Or will you allow the enemy to steep, continue to sugarcoat lies and present to you as truths? I chose Jesus. Many people have. And I want you to, to do the same this morning. Can I ask you to bow your heads just for a few moments and consider... Jesus is the gate, is the way, is the way to eternal life. That's what's at stake. After a song, as we worship together, I'm going to be coming back to make a call and to ask those who want to give their life to Jesus for the first time to do so. And those who are already Christians who maybe have been, been distracted, they want to fall in love with him again to do so to come and listen to him. So let's just worship God with this song and I'll be back. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.